Hello, I am Joel McLeod. I'm Roland Tanner. And welcome to the last two episodes of the 905er for 2020. The first episode of this podcast aired during the last week of July this year. However, the first inklings of the podcast began long before that. The initial idea for this podcast was actually to be an online news magazine, and that this podcast would come much later in the development. We tried to put that plan into motion, but found that we were soon in over our heads. Quite frankly, there was not enough time to produce the quality that we wanted. That was then we turned to this podcast format, and, well, we haven't quite looked back, at least until today. As we close out our first year on the air, Roland and I wanted to take a look back at our favorite stories that we've covered so far, and look at some of the themes that have popped up over the last 30 or so episodes. If you haven't listened to all of our episodes, by all means, we encourage you to spend some time over the next few days and the holiday break to catch up. If you have, let us know after this episode airs what you've liked and disliked, what topics you've enjoyed, and maybe which ones you'd want us to revisit, as well as any topics you want us to cover in the future. After this episode airs, we'll be taking a break until the new year, with new episodes airing on January 5th, 2021. Until then, enjoy. Okay, so... Roland, why don't you kick us off and tell us what some of your top episodes uh, come to mind when you look back at this year? Yeah, it's been really fortunate. Uh, in, I don't know if it's fortunate or we've had some really good stories and we've had some really good guests uh, come on. So I really want to thank all the guests that have been on uh, for being willing to to support a new a new podcast and kind of trust us that we weren't um, complete idiots. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think most people who come on have really enjoyed the experience, and I, I certainly have, and I, I think you have too. And I think one of the first episodes that really um, seemed to make a big impression outside our initial kind of little corner of the 905, which is, as most people know, we, we live in Burlington, um, but a story that kind of touched a nerve across uh, a wider region was the story about Hamilton Council and its treatment of a uh, volunteer member of their uh, LGBTQ plus advisory committee who was uh, being censured in essence for releasing a piece of information that was a, that was already entirely on the public record and, and available to anybody who wanted to look. And I was just thinking back on that today because it just seems to sum up something of one of the themes that's kind of gone through the episodes of how councils uh, and municipalities operate in the 905 uh, and probably further afield than that in sometimes a culture of almost um, a little bit of secrecy. And certainly Hamilton in the last few days has been going down that road again. Um, deliberately, seemingly, uh, this has been in the news this week, deliberately trying to make YouTube public videos of, of council meetings as difficult as possible to for people to hear and to then, uh, or to record and then make uh, available elsewhere, which is craziness. These are public meetings. I mean, why would you want to do that? But th- this is the kind of mentality that... that we saw with the story um, earlier in the year. And um, it's a problem that I think goes far beyond Hamilton and is really an important one for our region if we're going to kind of grow up and have a better way of doing things in the future. Right. Well, I remember it, that story, we we initially didn't plan on it. We know, kind of give people a bit of behind-the-scenes idea of how this podcast is done. Roland, Roland and I brainstorm ideas, general topic ideas of topics that we think are relevant and we want to cover. And we actually have a, a pretty much an ongoing list of story ideas. 
with a date and the planning of, okay, on this date and time, we're going to record and we put, we're going to invite guests on to record to have an episode air on a specific date about said topic. This one fell entirely into our laps, uh, as it were, because, yeah, it, it was just one of these things that this happened. The council was taking action against Cameron Kresh, and, and it just kind of cut our eye of what exactly is Hamilton City Council doing to this volunteer? Like, this, it, 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 for, at first it kind of just knocked us by surprise of why, why would they go after it for something some not really consequential and something that it, it it just seemed a little bit petty especially when other city councilors have done we thought more egregious actions uh over the years and then it, it, we, we were surprised i was a little surprised by the interest that uh that people took into the episode we're very fortunate that uh, mr crutch volunteered his time to come on and give his his account of the of the uh, story and then we were able to follow up that with uh, the excellent work by joey coleman who his website thepublicrecord.ca uh, does a great job of covering hamilton city council he's been following up on this story and, and other developments as it's uh, unfolded since then but he, he had a great point of that just what shocked me was when we had him on he was, he was telling us how often Hamilton City Council goes into in-camera meetings for seemingly the most innocuous, minuscule, non-consequential of city council behavior or, or, or decisions. You know, it's kind of sense like the, you know, the, the dissatisfaction that people seem to have with Hamilton City Council doesn't happen in a vacuum. It just doesn't pop up one day. You know, like it's this when you we're constantly making decisions behind closed doors, behind uh, you know, in, in secret. It makes people question: Are you acting in our best interests? And it's hard to get. It's hard to support those people when they do. I think Hamilton really needs to have a change election uh, at its next election, and I think it needs to be. Um, well, I hope the residents of Hamilton are, are paying attention. Certainly, the choice at the last election was, was not a good one. Uh, in many, certainly, the mayor election was an election uh, a choice between the status quo and someone who I personally think was uh, appealing to the worst aspects of certain parts of the city and kind of playing one part of the city against another in, in the whole LRT debate. But there needs to be change there. Uh, and there seems to be at the core of a better council there in some of the newer members who the older members really do not like and uh, try to undermine and belittle as much as they can. But some of those older members, frankly, are a disgrace in the way they behave. Uh, and that's not even going into the things um, that uh, in one one issue uh, with Councillor Sam Marula is now being investigated by the same people who were who were asked to investigate Cameron Kretsch. However, that seems to have been a long time coming, and it almost seems like it's the public kind of outcry that that maybe has led to finally uh, an investigation being made on the behaviour of one of the uh, councillors. But if you watch those council meetings every week, there's just absolutely disgraceful behaviour. Maybe technically within the rules of what you can do as a councillor, but but not within the within the bounds of kind of decent human beings. It seems to me, uh, but this is not unusual. I mean, certainly I've seen it uh, in Burlington, not to the same degree. I, I think it would be unfair to to claim that Burlington was as bad. Uh, but there's certainly that that kind of attitude of almost resentment and hostility to the public was certainly there in the past before the 2018 election, and I've seen some evidence of it <laughs> directed at me since 2018. Um, uh, in my, the last time that I took part in a, in a council meeting, that kind of "how dare you question a councillor" attitude really gets my goat. Um, 
they work for us. I think it's such an important point that councillors are at the bottom of the pyramid, not the top. Um, uh, we pay them. They work for us. They should treat us with the utmost respect and not the other way around. Uh, it, it's so infuriating when, when you see the, these kind of you know inquisitions of members of the public who've, who've given up time to go along to a council meeting, which is no one's idea of a good time, let's face it, getting insulted and belittled by some jumped up little twit who happened to get elected 20 years ago and has been unable to get his ass kicked out since you know well uh, you know you kind of hit the nail on the head there is that you have long-standing counselors that you know the career politician if you will i, I mean i always look at it, public office if you get elected to it whether it's at the city council municipal level provincial politics or at the federal level, you should be going in there with a planned agenda. I mean, that's why we have elections. You put out your agenda, your plan. I think uh, my constituency, my writing, my city, whatever, uh, would benefit if X, Y, and Z were implemented. And you make your case and you make your pitch and the people elect you on the merits of that of that argument. And then it's you have to put it into, play, into practice. You have to. The, the great thing about city council is that the party politics that we're so aware, uh, aware of at the provincial and federal levels doesn't exist. There's no, there are no formalized parties, and it's supposed to be a more collegial attitude, where you actually the idea that you, you actually have more in touch with your city councilor and your mayor than you would your your member of provincial parliament or the or your member of parliament. And that's the frustrating part is that you have people who are actually able to go into their, the body of government, into City Hall, sit at a an advisory meeting and say, listen, you know, I'm in touch with my community. They're telling me we need to see changes. We need, we need you know, this policy works. This policy doesn't work. We like to see this these changes happen. How, how can we get this done? And, it, you know, it's not a matter of just saying, okay, let's make it happen. Sometimes there's budgetary concerns. Sometimes there's legal concerns, that, you know, that, but that's where it's supposed to be more of a, a collaborative effort, a collaborative spirit. And you can sit there and say, we can't do that. You know, it's, it, it's, there are these barriers. Okay, some might work, some might not. But the idea is that it's a more collaborative effort that we can find a pathway to success. And it just seems that too often in, in city councils where members have been there for long, long time, 10 years of time, that spirit of collaboration doesn't really seem to be there. It's it's very much, I, I've been here for so long, as you said, Roland, how dare you question my authority? I've been here for so long, I, I don't need to listen to you anymore. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, we all get that to an extent that we, we do our jobs, we know more. Whatever job we may do, we tend to know an awful lot more than, than someone who doesn't do that job. However, that doesn't mean that a, you don't treat the people who pay your wages with the greatest respect. It doesn't mean that that people uh, who are actually living amongst the outcomes of your decisions and have to deal with it on day to day don't have a huge amount to contribute. You know, the, the day you stop listening to the public and thinking that they're idiots is the day you should quit. But I think most people reach that day about three months in, and then they quit about, like I say, twenty years later. Which brings us to the whole ranked ballot things. You know, that was how this the stream of kind of from Hamilton to ranked ballots to the province abolishing ranked ballots seemed like a really strong theme through the last six months. Mm -hmm. All kind of pulling us in the, in the wrong direction. You know, the last thing we need is you know, ranked ballots had the opportunity to make the kind of job for life situation for many councillors slightly less pervasive. 
who knows, maybe there are some counsellors who've been around for 20 years who are fantastic. I'm not doubting that for a minute, but there are many who are not. Um, and they win on, you know, it's, it's cliche of anybody who's been involved at any level of politics is that counsellors win on name recognition. It's why people, real estate agents, often become politicians because they've already had their signs all over the town. So any kind of name recognition is, is your biggest advantage. And so you are always in a strong position as, as a councillor running for re-election. That has to change. We, as a society, need to pay closer attention to what happens at municipal governments because, you know, the stuff that really bugs us all and drives us nuts is very often um, coming from municipal levels of government um, because it's closest to us and it's happening every day. And, and yet we have a terrible habit of turning on the TV and looking at what's happening in Ottawa, which really has very little effect on our lives most of the time. This year, maybe that's slightly different, but um, so yeah, that, that was a strong theme uh, through through the last six months. Yeah, you're absolutely you're absolutely right there, Royal. No, but the at the municipal level, the impact on our lives is so much greater that we don't even and recognize. I mean, we started off talking about, but if you go back into our podcast catalog, you'll you hear our episodes. We talk about a lot about development over the course of the of the last thirty episodes. Because, I mean, a lot of it comes down to the municipal government. It's who pays for certain politicians to be elected. I'm not making any accusations of any kind, but, I mean, the, the idea, you have to recognize, like, developer, developers have an interest in who is elected to city council. They, they want to develop and put up condo buildings and whatnot. And that's not a bad thing, necessarily. It's just, but could we do better? Is there a better option on the table than just, oh, we need another condo building. Okay, well, let's put one on this corner. You know, oddly enough, although I've just been kind of rude about a whole bunch of municipal politicians i'm actually a huge fan of municipal government as the best way to make the best decisions for where we live like i can pick up a phone anybody listening to this podcast can pick up the phone and speak to their counselor and you'll get through pretty quick and if they don't if you pick up the phone and they don't answer straight away you find their email you know you can get hold of those people and they will listen because two or three people making a allowed stink really get the attention of a counselor uh, 10 people they think they've got a war on their hands you know so it, it's actually very e easy to influence local government in the good way using all the appropriate uh, uh, channels um and, and it has huge potential the problem is in our province that or in our country as a whole that municipalities are you know, they exist at the gift of the province uh, and the province has in recent decades absolutely been moving power away from municipalities back to the province or undermining the decisions that are meant to be made locally. So we have this farcical situation where major departments in city halls will spend months making a decision on development. They go through all these huge, very expensive documents that are provided by the developer and it goes to the conservation authority, which is a whole other issue. You go through all this work, councillors spend weeks making decisions as it goes through the various parts of the council, they make a decision, public delegate, the community gets involved, they make a decision, the developer appeals it to what LPAT, LPAT says, none of you guys are allowed in, by the way, um, or not in any sense that makes any uh, sense at all. These people who we don't know, who don't live in our city, you know nothing about it, overall what the locally democratic decision makers have made. Now, there has to be some kind of appeals process because a council could be behaving completely uh, wrongly, um, but I don't think, as it stands, it's remotely appropriate or correct, and it creates this feeling of 
powerlessness and anger amongst the, the, the population, which sometimes gets, you know, which comes out in elections or sometimes gets misdirected against people who are actually kind of powerless. The whole thing needs an almost root and branch reassessment, I think, to, you know, if we're going to say, we're not going to keep on doing things the way it's, they've been done for the last 100, 200 years. We can do things better than this. That needs a government with the courage to really take the ball by the horns. But that's kind of goes into another story that we covered was the ranked ballots, uh, which turned you know it turned into all oh, this talk about Burlington's experiment and Mississauga's experimenting with ranked ballots into a the surprising twist of the province taking away the the ability for the municipalities to make that choice on their own. Uh, and we ended up covering two episodes on that on that one. And that's just that's a perfect example of the reform that would be needed to put power back into the local hands uh, to make our governments more responsive and more adaptable to the needs of the people and the kind of the presumptuousness of the provincial government to say, no, we, ha- we know what's best for you. We're going to take that away from you. It's, it's comforting to know that all the other major uh, provincial political parties, the Liberals, the NDP, and the Green have all pledged to restore that right uh, or that power to the municipalities should they ever form government after the next election but we'll wait and see what happens nothing's uh nothing's cast in stone i'm afraid yeah and having passed a law to get rid of it it then has to find time on the order paper to get put back in place again you know it's like the older i get the more impatient i get it's like <laughs> this stuff should have been done when i was 20 not when i was 50 and not be undone when i'm 50 uh, it's like, come on, guys, this is, we can make these really significant changes. Yeah. You know, like after the Second World War, we as a society in Canada and other parts of the world said, you know what, uh, we're not going to go back to the way we used to do things where only certain people could afford health care, where only certain people, where if you were out of work, then you had to go to the workhouse or whatever, to, or throw yourself on the mercy of the uh, local church or something to to provide food. We are going to provide for people who don't have food. We are going to provide proper health care for everybody, regardless of income. We're going to make sure children are educated. We're going to do these things. Really huge decisions that were done within about a 10, 15-year period that we are the foundation of, of how we still operate today. Why can't we do that now? Rather than, well, maybe we'll get ranked ballots, but maybe we won't, and maybe we'll just make a decision about that, and maybe some guy will come along and undo it. Ah, you know, it's like, <laughs> I've only got another sort of 40 years left. Come on, guys, move on. Yeah. I mean, if I'm lucky. <laughs> it, it, that, that's the, the the state of it as it is right at the moment. Okay, I'm going to move on because we've talked enough about uh, municipal politics. What other stories caught your eye or your ear this, uh, this year, Roland? Yeah, well, I think a, a really... Uh, episode I think we both really enjoyed, um, and I think uh, both the guests did too, was the episode we did with Laura Meffin and uh, Jill Davis about long-term care. And it was just a really, um, almost an emotional episode in some ways, but also kind of a lot of fun (laughs) in an odd way because both of them are really dealing with difficult things this year, uh, particularly Laura. But um, seeing, speaking to people who are, who are there experiencing the, the worst of the COVID experiences obviously has dominated in many ways, every episode we've done was really important. I hope that episode really sort of shone a light on something for our listeners that maybe they didn't hear anywhere else. And yeah, certainly that that's episodes like that make it feel like that we're doing something really good and worthwhile and providing something of a, of a service that 
that you won't find elsewhere and from a kind of 905 angle that that is slightly different as well i, I i'm like you roland i i don't know if I, this is the right phrasing i i did enjoy doing those episodes um not because i'm some kind of sadist but i i thought that it was there were episodes that really got to the point of how great this format is for bringing to light issues that kind of get glazed over you know hearing jill talk about her experience with her mom in a, in a long-term care home we were able to kind of really get asked questions i think we were both wanting to to have asked we, we heard what it was like what not just the statistics of you know how, how many percentage we are now of, of covid cases in long-term care homes but what does it look like what do these policies actually look like for families uh, and the same goes with Laura, because I, I think her story is something that is very, very much overlooked by mainstream news organizations. Just to give some perspective to listeners who might have missed that episode, highly recommend you go back and, and listen to it. Uh, but uh, Laura's daughter is in a group home for uh, adults with uh, disabilities. Uh, she's relying on the care of the staff there to uh, to support her and, and to help her. But Laura is very much a, a mom and she's very much involved in, in her daughter's life, except now because the home is governed underneath the Ministry of Long-Term Care and they follow those policies, which means that all of a sudden she's been cut off from her daughter. Uh, I won't go into the details. I'm, I'm going I'm to say, if you haven't listened to that, that episode, go back and listen to it yourself. It, it's a very heart-wrenching, but I think a necessary description that Laura and Jill give us about what what these abstract policies to the majority of us look like for the families on the ground on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, uh, again, go back and listen to the episode, but I mean a lot uh, in essence a mother cannot touch her daughter, uh, her daughter who has serious developmental uh, difficulties make it very hard for her to to understand why suddenly her mother would not touch her. Um, we can say, well, that's the disease. These are the things we're having to deal with, but it, it's just heartrending. And it seems so often that we could do better. And, you know, when, when people are arguing about, should we have to wear masks? Should we have oh to do God. this? Blah, 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 blah. It's Laura who's on the sharp end of that. Laura and Jill. Yeah. Both of them, they are paying the price of these ridiculous arguments uh, that have dominated our headlines uh, for so long. It, it was one of those things as as we were talking, you'd hear you could hear the anger in Jill's voice when we're talking about the anti-maskers going about and say, "Oh, my freedom, my freedom!" And you're like, you haven't lost a damn thing. Shut up, put on a mask. It's it's the least we can do f- to help each other out. And quit your quit your bitching and your, and your moaning. I haven't talked about this on the on, on the podcast, but I mean, I have an aunt, or I, I used to have an aunt in the UK. Who, who died of COVID a couple of weeks ago, and she was in long-term care. I think she was, she was certainly a good age uh, and had, I believe, some dementia. But I mean, it's like it's infuriating. That's a really crummy way to end a life that began before the Second World War, a blameless life of looking after children and and doing all those things that parents do, and and so much more. And it ends with this horrible disease needlessly reaching her in somewhere that's meant to be safe where she's meant to be protected and safe because of decisions both made politically and decisions made by members of the public who decided they didn't need to take as much care as maybe they should have done she's gone now you know and, and i you know i'm not being silly about this my I, i'm it's a distant aunt who i had not seen for quite some time but it's still a really crummy thing to happen to anybody 
Well, that's that's what it comes down to. Is that I think we just need to find out a little bit more humanity in uh, in this. We're, we're not being we still we're still gonna have to wear masks, um, even though a vaccine is here. It's being rolled out slowly but surely. We're gonna. I think we're gonna have to be wearing masks and maintaining social distancing for a good chunk of twenty twenty one. At least that's what all the the doctors, epidemiologists, and and experts are telling us. And I think we have to go along with that. It angers me that somebody who did a Google search all of a sudden has more knowledge and confidence on this than they should. I know my limits. I know I did not study medicine and science and epidemiology in university. Uh, I studied something else. And so I trust those people more than I trust, you know, Sam with a Twitter account. Yeah. That kind of thing. I was thinking this the other day that, you know, it's almost like we need to, we need to educate ourselves or, or and perhaps governments need to literally teach us in school, how do you understand what you're looking at and take the proper lessons from? How do you discern between nonsense and wherever you get your news, ultimately it comes down to an act of faith that that source is reliable enough that you can trust the majority of it. Something. And, and we should all, always have a degree of um, uh, caution with, with, with everything we read. So it's not about well, trust the star or the globe, but not, um, well, you know, Breitbart or whatever it's called. Um, is that the right name? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of them. I, I wouldn't trust them, that's for sure. There's a few that I wouldn't trust. But, but it's like, you know, why, why are people getting taken down these, these alleyways of bad science and bad information? And, and I think it must come down to education in many ways. I do think that's why the U.S. has been so badly affected by, by this whole sort of process. What you're seeing happen in the U.S., the horrific numbers, 300-plus dead from COVID, is a direct result, in my opinion, a generation of cutting and slashing education in that country. The fact that teachers are vilified constantly in that country uh, as being some kind of mooch on the system and they are paid scraps from the dinner table. Teaching is not a profession that is well paid in the states, uh, in certain states. And it, you see, you see that you, you have a generation of ignorant, stupid people coming out just chanting "USA, USA, USA," but they have no idea what that means. They have no idea what came beforehand, what got the USA to the top of the pyramid, so to speak. And quite frankly, it was their education system. Their education system put a man on the moon, many men on the moon. Their education system created the information age that we are in today. They are responsible for a great deal, many accomplishments of the 20th century. And they seem to have thrown it all away for saving, presumably saving a few tax dollars at the end of the year. I think that's what you're saying, is that you have a generation of ignorant, stupid people, a product of the American education system, and it's now literally costing them lives. And it's a tragedy, and you can say, I've suddenly got a somewhat bored of people trying to let the worst of the kind of Trumpers off the hook for their racism by saying, well, you know, these guys are victims too. However, these are working class people who have been kind of screwed over by both parties in the USA, and the you know, cut taxes because both parties have been tax cutting entities and has cut taxes, cut services and promise people they can have everything and not pay for it. Yeah, it's a disaster and it's been a long time coming. And I think those people who who would 
say that you know teachers should be paid less or have it easy in Ontario or anything like that uh, should look to the US and say well um, teachers are our best bulwark against um, extremism and the, yeah exactly that kind of level of ignorance which, which is completely avoidable and which is just training a bad workforce if, apart from anything else and like if you're if you're a more more of a conservative frame of mind than I am it's like you need a good workforce you don't want to be you know throwing people out into society with no uh, skills or ability to do anything absolutely uh but you no know i think we'll talk about the differences between uh, us and america next episode uh cuz i'm going to come i'm going to present you my picks for our top stories from uh, the past year yeah well, we'll look forward to that see you next time That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.